0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Nourish and Flourish, a handcrafted, independent publication taking readers on a journey from the soil to the stars. Subscribe today at nourishandflourish.site.
0: This week on Meet and 3, we're examining the true cost of convenience when it comes to when, where, and how we eat.
1: Dark stores enable workers to eat without any kind of thought to how they're getting their food or how it might have come to be. DoorDash, Uber, and Lyft in the past have pledged to spend $90 million to try to exempt themselves from the law. I could be wrong, uh, but I... I think there's going to be significant regulatory pushback on driverless trucks.
0: Tune in to Meet in Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Hey, and welcome to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Um, it's really cool today to have one of the Halal Guys in the studio. If you don't know the Halal Guys, it started as this little cart at 53rd and 6th Avenue here in New York City, and now has over 70 locations around the world. Is I think, the number three rated or number three reviewed uh, eatery on Yelp in the world as well. And who we actually have sitting with us today is uh, CEO Ahmed Abulanin who is the son of Mohammed Abulanin who was one of the three co-founders but we're first going to talk about halal food because the reason the halal guys started is because they saw this this vast community of cab drivers and Muslims alike that didn't have a place to stop and eat in Manhattan so They started this little cart, and the legend began there. So, welcome to the show, Ahmed.
3: Thank you. Thank Uh, you. Can you define for me what halal means? Yeah, sure. Halal as a word means what's permissible, as a word. And when it comes to food, what's uh, it? It happened to be according to the Islamic law. So, when you come to either slaughter the animal, humanly raised, humanly slaughtered, all the way until you eat the meat. And it's actually a cleaner process when you think about it. It's a cleaner process. So the process allow the, the, the blood to get drained completely from the animal and that avoid any bacteria to grow. So that's the main the main purpose of halal when it comes to food. But as a word, halal can be applied for alcohol, for example. We're not allowed to have alcohol, so that's considered non-halal, which is a word haram. So Halal as a word means what's permissible and what's not permissible.
2: Yeah, it, it's funny. I One of my apartments in Brooklyn, the landlords were um, owners of a halal butcher shop. And I used to buy meat from them. And it was beautiful, beautiful meat. We're in a day and age in food where everyone wants to know, where did this come from? And likes to see uh, that denoted on the packaging. You know, it's humanely raised, etc. But halal has done this for Hundreds, if not thousands of years. It's part of the ethics and codes of, like you said, Muslim law. Exactly.
3: It's all about educational. So when people know about halal, okay, they, they think about it. It's actually a cleaner process, and it's even better meat for us. And you can feel the difference when you eat halal food and non-halal food when it comes to meat products. And, of course, when also pork is considered non-halal or as Muslims were prohibited to eat any kind of pork, alcoholic products, anything like that.
2: Yeah, but halal isn't just about meat because I find it a very vegetarian-friendly cuisine. And your father, yourself, born and raised in Egypt, can you talk to me about the cuisine there?
3: So the cuisine in Egypt, it's. Uh, I'm sure you have tried Mediterranean food before, so it's all different kind of foods and from coming from different culture, and at the same time. I was raised up, the only thing I know is halal food. We don't have non-halal food in Egypt, for example. So when we came here, I started seeing, okay, here we have halal food and non-halal food. And when I started talking to my father, how the business started and all of that, he was like, I, I was one of the people that couldn't find halal food in the city. So he had to go all back to Queens to get food and go back to continue working in the city. So it was a challenge for him and at the same time he thought about it, okay, we have a lot of Muslim cab drivers here. So why not introduce a halal meal for these cabbies and instead going back to their houses to get halal food and come back? And that's how it all started.
2: Yeah. Did he go out to Queens and taste other halal foods or did he ask uh, cab drivers what they wanted to eat before
3: opening the cart? Not necessary. Just a halal meal. Yeah. Any halal meal, not necessary, no? So is your dad a good cook? He is. Yes. He is. And he did, he, he,
2: did he cook for your
3: family growing up? I, he did, yeah. He did in Egypt. Mm-hmm.
2: And what were the meals that he cooked that you liked the ah, most?
3: Allah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Allah. Uh, most, most of it were grilled stuff. Uh, that's grilled, homemade. Uh, there's a meal we have in Egypt that we call mashi, which is eggplant, uh, stuffed eggplant which is one of the most popular in Arab world.
2: It's it's stuffed with rice, right? With rice. Yeah. I see a lot of rice stuffed vegetables in Egyptian cuisine. Uh Uh, Is that an offering that was ever, um, you know, on the menu at Halal Guys or something that you want to someday put on the menu?
3: I don't think so, no. It's more of homemade food, like what my mom would cook, what your mom would cook, but it's not something you put in a menu because it takes effort, a lot of effort to prepare and to cook. And of course, as a customer, I wouldn't want to wait that long for my food yeah. to get cooked. Because
2: let's talk about this line. Yeah. You go to 53rd and Six. even today. I mean, this opened up, what, in 1990? 1990. That, that's, one, a blessing that even if a restaurant lasts a year in New York, you, you celebrate the praises of it. But the fact that you've gone almost three decades at a specific corner in Manhattan, I mean, you, you must just feel like that's the best thing ever.
3: It is. It is. And of course, for the founders and my father, all of that was not expected. Over the years, they were just serving the best fresh food to customers and at the same time, focus on quality, focus on prices, great prices, and at the same time, focus on great customer hospitality. Always hurt the customer.
2: That's why I really wanted for this show um, to go to the corner and talk to customers because you formed those relationships over 30 years that you have a lot of repeat customers but you also have people that come all the way from uh, I met a couple from Berlin that was standing in line just because they had read about you and really wanted to go another couple that was from Australia someone that was from South Africa I mean they, there is something about what the halal guys do that brings people to that corner but let, let's talk about the food is it a shawarma um, is it a kebab what, what do you actually serve there that you think has become the most popular dish
3: it's uh, the combo blar. The combo bladder consists of uh, gyro, which is ground beef and uh, chicken, grilled chicken, consider, which is uh, um, we call it American halal food because we, we don't have that kind of food in our countries, so it was made and pasted here. Yeah. So why didn't you have this food in Egypt? And we, we just never had it. Yeah. They don't have they don't have gyros in Egypt. Yeah. Gyros itself comes from Greece. So we not they don't have that in Egypt. They don't have gyros in Egypt. We have chicken, of course, not the same way of cooking it. Yeah. But here, here became different. Like easy to cook, easy to serve, doesn't take time, like that. So how do you cook it in Egypt? You cook it, boiled chicken, different rotisserie chicken, too many different ways. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Again, you have this long snaking line of people waiting to get this combo platter. So, you know, they're they're hoping to get their meal in a few minutes rather than wait hours for somebody to labor over making some chicken. Exactly. But you know, what's the most fascinating thing to me about this, this combo platter or gyro is, is the bread or that there isn't really that much bread there because bread is a really fascinating thing in Egypt and has been a, a, you know, at the crux of wars, there have been bread lines, there have been, you know, government subsidies. So when somebody who doesn't know Egyptian cuisine uh, expects it to be a sandwich, they don't know all the stuff that's happened in Egypt
3: just for a sandwich. That's true. That's exactly true. And we have, we sell sandwiches too. So not only platters, wrapped sandwiches. Yeah. And that can be chicken or gyro or even the combo sandwich or falafel. We have falafel, vegetarian.
2: Yeah. Is it called ish baladi? What is that? E i s h b a l. A-D-I, the kind of bread that you serve in Egypt.
3: That kind of bread. We have too many different Yeah, blends. It's
2: like a flatbread that looks similar to the one that you make wraps in. Yeah,
3: yeah. We have that, yeah. yeah. And it's it's kind of, we make it freshly baked in the oven. And most of the people in Egypt, they have ovens in their house, like the pizza oven. So they make that fresh and they just serve it as families and like that.
2: Yeah. So whose bread do you use
3: here in New York? We use Greek bread because it goes with a gyro. So... It's perfect, perfect bread for that. Yeah. And doesn't get it doesn't get soggy, it doesn't get hard, so it's perfect.
2: You know, I know your customer base is far beyond what it started as. You know, it's not just Muslim cabbies, but you still have a lot of Muslim cabbies. Yes. Uh, who are some of your oldest customers and what are the stories behind, you know, servicing them and, and feeding them throughout the years?
3: So we have customers until today, Muslim cabbies, that, I will tell you, they can eat from our cart from four to five days a week on a daily basis. It's, a, it's one of the stops. And believe it or not, they did a lot of marketing for us. So when they come to pick up someone from the airport, they always tell them, you got to try this place. <laughs> you gotta, and that's how the word got out. Yeah. We didn't have any big marketing before. but now cab drivers are our main customers. Yeah. And they spread the word out.
2: It's amazing. Have you looked at other modes of transportation, like how to get your food on the trains? <laughs> we
3: do. We do, actually. Those uh, tourist guides, so a tourist guide they pass from 53rd and six, and they stop there, and they show the tourists our place, and they tell them it's a destination. Even at some of the airlines, they put us in one, as one of the stops in New York. Must visit when you're in New York City. So that's just amazing. And for a full car to become yeah, like Yeah,
2: and it, it's easy to tell a cab where to go because they already know the destination exactly. so well.
3: But let's talk about
2: 1990, and your father was amongst three men that founded the Halal Guys. Um, who were the three people? Well, one being your father. Mm-hmm. And what were their backgrounds that they decided that this was a good business venture?
3: Actually, most of them before that, they were working cab drivers, cab uh, drivers, a beginner cook's and store and Italian restaurants, different restaurants, and they started as a passboy or any of that. So they started from scratch, and when they saw that, and once once we introduced this halal cart in the street, that business needed support, so they all joined and they started to build the brand from there. Created the recipes, our white sauce recipes, and all the other recipes that we have as of today, they did that and created it. But they all come from different background. They all lived in Egypt, grew up in Egypt. And they all moved here end of 1880. I mean, 1980.
2: Yeah. I mean, you were born, you were raised in Egypt, um, but you would come during the summers to work at this cart. Exactly. Correct?
3: Yeah. On my summer vacation, I used to come for two, three months of the summer, work at the car to get the vibe, get the experience, see what my father is facing, and just get back to school. Did it feel like a vacation? No, you it were wor- Yeah, yeah. It did. Yeah. It still did. Because you you're come from Egypt, you're in just midtown Manhattan, standing in the middle of 53rd and 6th, seeing all these tourists, all the vibe in the summer. It gets so crazy, seeing all the parades that happen in the city, all of this. So it's fun.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, you think about the vantage point that you've had over the past 30 years. You know, you've been able to stand at that corner whenever you want.
3: Exactly. It's all about reputation. Yeah. Because there is no laws in the street. So you can wake up the second day, find your spot taken.
2: Really? Yeah. Have people tried to do that to you? They guys? have.
3: They have. When but was
2: when was the last time someone booted your cart out of fifty? I think that
3: that's eight years ago. Yeah, eight years ago, close to eight years ago. Yeah.
2: You're right. It's 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 a sign of respect now too, yeah. um, that 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 is deservingly yours. But you've also expanded in this way that you have seventy locations around the world, so. From those humble beginnings, why did you ever decide to expand?
3: So over the years, the founders were approached more than once from uh, franchising firms to do franchising, and they never liked the idea. They cared about the food, they cared about the quality, they never wanted to compromise it. And when 2014 came, we had our first brick and mortar, which is in 14 and 2nd Avenue, and we were not still thinking about franchising. But when we opened the store, it worked very well and that's where we get the idea, okay, now we're ready to franchise. If we did that right, it's huge sales volume, and it's a place for customers to sit and eat. We went forward with it, and we started franchising.
2: I read that based on the per year, per unit, you were the second highest grossing ethnic restaurant chain behind Chipotle.
3: That's true.
2: That's a wild fact as well.
3: That's true. Yep, <laughs> yep. It's brand new brand, still, what, three years our first franchise location was open August 2015. So we're just three years in this process, and we're here that target already.
2: So throughout North America, Indonesia, South Korea, the Philippines, where else do you hope to bring the Halal guys?
3: We're uh, actually we're coming soon to the UK, opening a location there to the UK. We are in uh, Malaysia, and we are in Canada also. And most likely everywhere in the states. We're in 20, 28 different states.
2: And this is brick and mortar or, or carts? Or brick and
3: mortars. Do you miss the cart? I
2: don't. We still have it. Yeah. I mean, but do you miss Franchise that it was it? just a cart? Um, it's Brick and mortar is something different, but there's something so New York and so genuine about walking up to a cart and getting a hot meal. Um, how does the experience differ now that it's in a brick and mortar or a restaurant?
3: The restaurant is much easier processed than the carts. Remember, the carts you stand in the street, the weather is, you can tell, winter, summer, the weather is just crazy all year long. That's one factor. The other factor, this cart you gotta pull it every day to a storage place to get cleaned, get manufactured, get fixed if anything went bad with it. So it's, there's a lot behind the scene to run a cart that people may not see it. But when it comes to a restaurant, it's different story. You have, you have rules, you have regulations. You can control the crowd, but in the, in the cars, you can't really do that. And you cannot even... And it's at the same time, it's kind of dangerous from a perspective of... You You get drunk customers, for example, a lot. And you cannot just... You cannot deal with them. It's hard to deal with them. But you still have to make them happy at the same time. So you got to work around that. But if you're on the street and someone bothers you, you won't be able to do anything. If you're inside the store, you may... okay try to work something out or push this customer out of the store, something like that. But in the street, it's hard. It's just hard.
2: It sounds like that movie, Gangs of New York, should be Carts of New York someday. <laughs> On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back.
1: This episode is brought to you by Nourish and Flourish a handcrafted, independent publication taking readers on a journey from the soil to the stars. Nourish and Flourish showcases thought-provoking stories from around the world and stunning photography. Each issue explores emerging trends in food, nutrition, recipes, soil health, technology, regenerative agriculture, travel, and more. Volume 1 of Nourish and Flourish includes features on the Svalbard Global Seed Bank, the International Symposium on Bread, and ancient Hawaiian aquaculture. Are you interested in eating healthier and learning more about where your food comes from and living a more connected life? Subscribe today at nourishandflourish.site. For $29.99, you'll receive three issues. That's 38% off the retail price. Nourish and Flourish connecting readers with the people and stories that make a difference in living a more balanced, healthier life. Subscribe today or find a retailer near you at nourishandflourish.site. Welcome
2: back to the food scene on heritage radio Network.org. I'm Michael Harlan Turkell, here today with Ahmed Abulane. How, wait, how do you pronounce it? Because I don't want to butcher it. Aboulanin. Aboulanin. I even wrote it out phonetically, then realized I couldn't read my own writing, but we've been talking about the Halal guys, a cart on 53rd and Sixth Avenue that ha- has been such a mainstay of Manhattan for so long and over nearly 30 years has expanded to 70 locations. Um, What's so cool, too, is when you expand, you get to hire more people and you have nearly, if not over a thousand employees. Um, That is a wonderful fact that you've been able to employ so many people. Who do you employ? What kind of person and what do you want them to bring to the customer relationship that I feel like you only get at a cart sometimes?
3: And that's that's a great question. So we have system wide over 6,000 employees, system-wide, overseas and nationally. And uh, the type of people look at corporate, we have corporate employees and franchise employees. Corporate employees that run New York business, which is owned by corporate and the franchise employees, which is run by franchisees, but we supervise that. So we look for people with multi-unit background, multi-unit operation background, that know how to run more than one location at the same time, more know how to solve any guest problem that happened, give the customer the best experience they can get. Transfer that cart experience from 53rd and six inside the four walls of the brick and mortars. So that's the kind of people we hire. They have to have the proper experience. Otherwise, they wouldn't help. And that goes with every single department in a company from marketing, from operations, supply chain, et cetera.
2: Yeah, it's not just as easy as wheeling a cart in and out of a storage unit every day.
3: No, you're building a foundation for a franchise system. So there is nothing easy about it. You got to put all the foundation in place and strong structure to bu- to continue building that empire.
2: Let's talk the foundation of your sandwiches, your combo platters, your food, because really, I think it sometimes just comes down to something as simple as white sauce. That's true. What is this magical, mystical white sauce?
3: You just said it, it's magical.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it really is, though. Like, it, it, it is... I mean, this might not be halal to say, but it's almost a drug. It's so addictive to some people that come up to that cart. That's what is true. it, I ask again?
3: It's a mayo paste. It's a mayo paste. Of course, I cannot tell you about the rest of the recipe, <laughs> but it's uh, it's paste mayo, mayonnaise.
2: Yeah. And is this something that was Egyptian or uh, Americanized for?
3: Americanized. Yeah. It was all created here. And where did it come out of? Whose inspiration was it? The founders. The founders, they made a simple recipe, introduced it. customer fell in love with it stayed as it is. Again, they never expected that huge demand by stays. It was the help of God and the effort they put 25 years or actually now 28 years in the street. They put a lot of work day and night yeah. to build that. So there's a lot of hard work behind the scenes happen happened all over the years.
2: There's the foundation of white sauce, but then there's also hot sauce too. Exactly. And and that is, is, I mean, it's another magical, mysterious thing because I've had hot sauces before but the way that that interacts with the white sauce.
3: So, for the hot sauce, I had have customers that came to us and do some sort of challenges and what they do is e- each one of them hold a the powder of white sauce and try to drink it. Roll <laughs> it. I was like, no way, I can't do that. I don't eat hot sauce at all. Yeah. So, I don't even know how our hot sauce tastes like. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it works very well with the white sauce and our platter. It's a full meal that works together.
2: Hummus Baba Ganoush.
3: So, we introduced the hummus Baba Ganoush when we first started the brick and mortars. So we didn't have that at the cards. It's it's a little bit challenge to have this item at the cart. And actually, a few months back, we just started to introduce that at the cart. Yeah. The hummus, and not yet the Baba Ganoush, we introduced the hummus and baklava, the dessert. So, we had that in the in the brick and mortar, hummus, baba ghanoush, tapouli, olive, olives, uh, what else do we have? I think that's uh, pretty much it, what we have in our brick and from sides. Besides, that's an addition to our simple menu, falafel, chicken, gyro, and the rice.
2: I mean, truthfully, before these other additions, there were only four things on the menu. Exactly. And I'm not counting beverages. Hey. So four things on the menu. That's true. I'm going to say it one
3: more time. Four things on the Four menu. Four things in the menu. 30 years, 70 locations. That's part of the success. The symbol that you keep your menu, the symbol the process is. Because if you have 100 items in the menu, you will never be able to keep the quality or keep the consistency of the product.
2: I mean, you mentioned that the chicken here is not cooked the same way that you do in Egypt. How is it cooked here? And how is it, how is it so simply done and so delicious?
3: So it's cooked here on the grill, on the flat grill, and it doesn't take more than half an hour to get fully cooked and ready to serve to the customer. Of course, there is a way of cooking it that the customer, uh, that the founders uh, uh, implemented that way. It's different than the way you cook in Egypt. Everyone cooks chicken a different way. Some some make it boiled chicken, rotisserie. It can be a different kind of spices. It's all different ways. It's
2: these spices too because part of going to the cart and I'm sure the brick and mortar but I am a cart guy I like the open air because I like that smell that wafts down the street the spices that are emitted through the olfactory you know senses Um, what is that spice blend and what does it make you remember about Egypt or does it even have any you know semblance to uh, eating there
3: Uh, it doesn't remind me anything of Egypt to be honest with you but at the same time, you can smell our food from a block away. A block away, and I mean it. And at some point, when I used to come every summer, when I go- I was going back to Egypt, I used to take frozen rice and frozen gyro with me to Egypt for my family there to try it. And it was just amazing. Even the white sauce, I took some with me. Yeah. Put in the big luggage and just, let's go.
2: What did they think?
3: They love it. Yeah. They- and every time any t- anyone from my family going back, they request that from them.
2: Yeah. Have you ever thought about opening up a halal guys in we Egypt? Did. You we did, we did,
3: yeah. But the country conditions doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't allow that. We had uh, we had requests for franchise there actually. Yeah. The, the whole country, but we we see what's happening inside the country from po- politics, etc. So we're on. We wouldn't want to invest now there. Yeah. If things get better, yeah, for sure, we can consider that.
2: I mean, growing up and being from Egypt, you care about Egypt. Yeah, of course. You care about your family there. What do you want to express through your food that people here, you know, uh, understand more about how great a place and how great the people of Egypt are or how great a religion um, you live and, how, you know, what Muslim means? Because I think those have all been very, you know, uh, you know, very poignant things to talk about here in the U.S. lately.
3: It's, uh, it's all about uh, how you act as people and how you treat people. So I can tell you I'm a Muslim, but I can go at night and drink alcohol and do all these things. That doesn't mean I'm a Muslim. I can tell you I'm a Muslim and go do all wrong and bad things. That doesn't mean I'm a Muslim. So it's all based on actions. And at the same time, the way you deal with each other, there are certain things you got to do in order to show other people, OK, this is what Islam is about. Not killing people, not doing that, not doing none of this is Islam. So it's more of a way of life that was written in the Quran. You have one book, gives you everything in life that you need to know about from the big from the beginning of when you were born until you die. Follow that book? Simple as that. You have it there. You have everything in your hands. And it's amazing. It's just amazing. Once you start seeing that, it's amazing. And the way People deal with each other. That's all there is. People see us in the streets. Sometimes they cannot believe we're Muslims. The way we act with them, the way we treat them. And of course, there are other people that they don't they don't go that way on things. But those who think, okay, this is how Islam about, not what other people show us.
2: I mean... I know it isn't overt, but I feel like the underlying message behind this episode and behind what you do is for people to treat other people with respect and care and and honor what you're doing in the way that, you know, your father and his other co-founders did 30 years ago. Um, Because it wasn't just to feed cabbies. It wasn't just to, you know, start a business. It was to establish themselves here. It was to, um, you know, create a better life for themselves here as well as back home. And I feel like if anyone's ever gone to the halal guys um, and eaten that food without thinking about everything that's attached to that, I feel like now is the time to change the way you think about that.
3: That's true. That's actually true. And it was more also about feeding people halal food. That's a, that's a very good deed in the Islamic religion. When you f- just feeding people halal food, that's a big deal for us. So it's great and motivates us to do more and more and open everywhere because customers, they come to us from everywhere. We had customers drive all the way from Canada just to get the plate and go back. From Jersey every day just to pay the tunnels, which is more expensive than our food, and get back. But now we have stores in Jersey. So here you go, by your doorstep. Same thing everywhere in the country, and that was one of the reasons we also franchised nationwide
2: excellent well thank you so much for being on Ahmed and if you haven't visited the card at 53rd and Six, please do or any of the other locations around the country if not world and you know when you do that please pick me up a combo platter extra white sauce extra hot sauce thank you again Ahmed
3: thank you thank you so much
2: you've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org I'm your host Michael Harling-Turkel hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3 a big thank you to our sponsor Music by Cookies and David Tadashore Engineering cheers